Titus chapter 3 tonight. Titus chapter number 3. And uh, I tell you, um, that the Lord's been working in my life and heart out of Titus 2. And to be honest with you, I don't want to leave Titus 2. Uh, because God has been helping me so much in practical Christian living. And we open chapter number 3 and we continue on with practical Christian living. Here's the thing, y'all. God is concerned about you being a Christian outside the four walls of the church building. God has never intended the church to be a showcase for Christianity. God has never intended our Christianity to be behind closed doors. He's always wanted, as a matter of fact, when he called the, the Israelites out, when he called Abraham out, and he called that people out, it was to make him known in the world, to make God known in the world. And when he calls the church out, he's calling the church out for us to make Christ known in the world. In Titus chapter number 3, there's a little bit of a change, but not much when he says these words. We'll read verse 1 and 2, and then we'll pray, and we'll get right into the message. It says this, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no, no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Help us pray and we'll try to preach the word of God. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord God, for letting us be here tonight. Thank you, Lord God, for uh, the singing. Thank you for the prayer request time. Thank you for the, the time of being able to pray. Thank you, Lord God, for just these people that are before us. Thank you for those that were not able to be here tonight. God, I pray that you'd help them in, in what they need tonight. Father, I pray as we've read the Word of God that you would bless the reading of your Word. I pray you'd help me preach the Word of God and to be able to show, uh, maybe to be able to apply some truths to our lives uh, in this matter of being a real Christian. I pray you'd help us now. Uh, God, the rest of this evening, the rest of this week, in Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. I want you to look in chapter 2, verse 15. Look in chapter 2, verse 15. Paul is telling Timothy, Paul, I mean Titus here, Paul is telling Titus, this young preacher, this pastor, he tells this, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. And, and, and the admonition of the Lord to this preacher is not to speak with his own authority. It's not to even speak with Paul's authority, but it's to speak with the authority of God Almighty. What he is telling Titus to preach, he is saying preach it with authority because it ain't your words, Titus. It's my word. It is not what you come up with, Titus. It is God's word. And, and I have never wanted to have an air of arrogancy or pride in preaching, but, but I do want authority in preaching. And there ought to be some authority behind the word of God because it is the word of God. I, I can stand tonight on everything I'm about to say. I can stand tonight with authority because I didn't come up with this stuff. I'm not smart enough to come up with this stuff. I, I'm not spiritual enough to come up with this. I'm not strong enough. But God, the, the creator of the world, has given us a book and he's given us word that we ought to preach. He says this to speak it, to exhort it, to rebuke with that authority. I thought about those three things real quickly. Speak it. 
That means we ought to be speaking it whether we're in the pulpit or not. That ought, the Word of God ought to be in our speech. We ought to be talking about the Word of God, talking the Word of God, speaking the Word of God. But then to exhort, we ought to encourage people in the Word of God. We ought to encourage people to read the Word of God. We ought to encourage people to believe the Word of God. We ought to encourage people to know that this book is the final authority for everything we do. And then we ought to rebuke with it. There is times when we must take the Word of God and rebuke. There's times we must take the Word of God and say, hey, this doesn't line up with the book. This doesn't line up with what God's Word has said. And he says, do it with authority. And then he says, let no man despise thee. And here's what the emphasis there is, is Titus, Titus, if they despise what you're speaking, exhorting, and rebuking, they're not despising you. They're despising the Word of God. If you just stay true to this book in all that you do, Christian, you don't have to worry about people whether they like you or not. But because if you stay true to this book, if they don't accept this book, they're not accepting the God of this book. So let no man despise thee. And so, so he says that, and that is referring to chapter number 2 and chapter number 3. It's really referring to this whole letter here. I want you to look there quickly. There are three, these three chapters in this book. We have dealt with chapter 1 and 2 already. But chapter 1 deals with God's work in the house of God. God has established a church. He has established leadership in the church. And then in chapter 2, it's God's work in the home of man. God working in man's home. He admonishes the elder men and the elder women. He admonishes the young men and the young women. He admonishes the, the employer and the employee. He deals with the home. He deals with not only God's work in the house of God and God's work in the home of men, but he deals with good works in the house of God. And there's a way we ought to act in church. There's a way we ought to do in church. And, and there are, there's a way we ought to act as a member of the church and the good works in the home of men, but chapter number three kind of changes a little bit. Still in the theme of good works, you got to understand, good works is a product of sound doctrine. Sound doctrine has more to do with our deportment than it does our actual doctrine written on paper. What I mean by that? Sound doctrine has more to do with our behavior than our belief system. Because your behavior is going to tell me what you believe. You, the way you act tells me how you really believe. Not only tells me, but it tells the world what you believe. I've said it over and over again last few weeks. The world, the world is not reading our Bible to find out what we believe. The world is not looking at our doctrinal statement on the website. Though I believe we ought to have one. I think, you ought to, I think if you're going to have a website, church ought not have what they believe. Amen? But, but they're not looking at the church website. They're not looking at your, your book on the articles of faith. They are watching our lives. And they are saying, that's what you believe. How you live is how you believe. And so that's what they're doing. And so we ought to be adorning the doctrines of Christ in this world. We ought to be making Christ look good in this world. Your job, I tell our athletes as they get on their, the buses to go to play a, a away game, I will tell them many times, don't forget, you are representing our school. Uh, you are representing your parents, but most importantly, you are representing the Lord Jesus Christ. Make him look good. And if you make him look good, you'll make mom and daddy look good, and you'll make the school look good. But worry about making him look good. 
And so we ought to be worried about making God look good. And so the sound doctrine, the, the good works is a product of sound doctrine. And it's to be manifested in this world that don't know the Lord. The world does not know Christ. They don't know the Lord. And so we must manifest those good works to show what we believe. And so I thought about this in First and Second Timothy. We dealt with, with for a long time. We've been in First, Second Timothy and Titus for a very, 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 very long time around here. Years. But those two books describe the vocation of the church. See, the church is established in order that truth can be declared and displayed. It's the pillaring around the truth. And that truth is not just to be declared here, it's to be displayed out there. And that truth is to be displayed in three areas in the life of the child of God. It ought to be in our ministry. How we minister ought to display truth. But then in the family, it ought to display truth. You know what I find is many people have maybe the ministry down, but they ain't got family down. I read the other day, it was really disheartening to me, but I read about John Wesley and his marriage and how rough of a marriage John Wesley had. You know what I say about that? Somebody should have told John Wesley to sit down because he was disqualified. You say, well, he did all this for Methodism. He did all this for church history. Oh, so you're telling God couldn't have done any of that? God needed a disqualified man to do all that? No. They said that him and his wife would fuss and fight so much, he'd run out to go preach and tell her, I, went, I hope I come back to a dead wife. He would tell her, he would say, maybe the next time I see you is down at the morgue. I mean, they had a rough, and he would tell her, and this is what he would say, I've got to go, I've got to go to win the world. But yet his wife, was miserable. His family was miserable. God help us to have ministry down and not have our family right. Amen. I've told y'all this before and this is not being, this might be a smart at it, but y'all can get another preacher and I can get another church, but I don't get another shot at a wife. I don't get another shot at my babies. And I love, I love this place. My heart is here. Matter of fact, I don't know what they'll do with my body when I'm dead. But I'm telling you, if nothing changes, I wish, if God, if they, I wish to God if they bury my body somewhere else, they put my heart down here. I'm telling you, this is where I want to be, friend. But I will not, will not, will not forsake my family for the ministry. You got to be a Christian in the ministry. You got to be a Christian at home. But watch this. You must be a Christian in the community. There are some who have it right in the ministry, have it right in the family, but man, in the community, they're not a Christian. They do not display truth in the community. See, good works are the practical, natural outcome of salvation by grace. You listen? It is the outcome. It does not produce salvation. It does not cause salvation, but it is an outcome of salvation by grace. When you are saved by the grace of God, it will produce good works. Right? Isn't that what it says in Ephesians chapter number 2? 
Ephesians chapter number 2, those famous verses about salvation by grace, when he said this, when he said, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. <laughs> God saves us, there's going to be good works that follow after that. And so, those good works serve a purpose. In chapter number two, he said that that purpose was that they made uh, that they would uh, that the word of God be not blasphemed, that they could not speak evil of the word of God, that that our good works have a purpose that they also would have no evil thing to say of you. Mind that that the world could not speak evil of you. I'm not talking about the made-up stuff, right? Like right now, and I'm not getting into all this, but right now our new speaker of the house, our new speaker of the house, they are making fun of him because he has accountability software on his devices, he and his sons, all their internet devices, so that they could not access pornography. And they are making fun of him. You know what I say about I don't know much about the man, but I say Amen. Amen. He's got higher standard than most preachers do. Y'all know me. I don't have a device. You make fun of me if you want to. You can go ahead. But I don't have, I will not have an internet-based device without accountability software. Ain't going to do it. I ain't that stupid. I ain't that stupid, friend. I'm not going to do it. Hey, and I say thank God for somebody in our government that's got something like that. Because most of that crowd in the government is a bunch of pedophiles anyway. Yeah, man. You can like that or lump it. But it's right. And so they're making fun of him. So I'm not saying, and, and what they're doing is they're making fun of him, and now they're saying he must have a problem with it. I say he probably don't if he's got accountability not to have it. Amen. You know why I have all that accountability software? So I don't have a problem with it. Amen. Because I love my wife too much. Amen. I love my kids too much. I love serving God too much to disqualify myself with a bunch of that trash. Amen. And so, and so, uh, so I'm not talking about that, but I am saying them having something evil to say about you. I remember finding out that a family member of mine, I never did meet him. He died before I was born, right when I was born. And I, I found out that maybe he was a preacher. Somebody mentioned he was a preacher. And I talked to his daughter. I said, I didn't know he was a preacher. And this was her words. If he's a preacher, the woods was full of him. I was taken back. I'd never heard that statement before, ever in my life at the time. I said, uh, I don't think I understand what you mean. She said, that man wasn't no preacher. That man may have had a Bible under his arm and went to church and made everybody think he was a preacher, but that man wasn't no preacher. She said, he abandoned my family. Now, her mother died when she was six months old. She said, when, when mama died, he abandoned me and my sister, and he went off chasing women all the time, and he so-called preacher was chasing women all over the country while he left us for somebody else to raise. I remember as an employee at the Morgan Hardware, I've told this story before, about my boss taking me to the, uh, the, the debt the debt uh, com the computer with all the debt on it. He said, you see all that crowd right there? But them's a bunch of preachers that owe us money. He said, you don't be that kind of preacher. He said, don't be that kind of Christian. 
He said, I wouldn't cross the street to hear none of them preach. He said, matter of fact, I'd walk out if our pastor had them come preach. Here's, here's what he's saying. We ought to be living a life of Christianity out in this community that they can't say anything evil about us. And so, here's the, here in Titus, we see God calling us to godliness in the home, in the church, and in the community. And Paul here is dealing with some practical, down-to-earth matters that relate to Christians living before a godless world. In chapter 2, how do we live amongst the brethren? Chapter 1, how does the leaders live amongst the congregation? But chapter 3, how do we live in a godless, pagan world? Because I don't think i got to tell y'all too much. I don't have to convince y'all too much. We live in a godless, pagan world. We are at best a, in a sub-Christian America. And at worst, and maybe this is really where we're at in reality, a post-Christian America. The morals and the ideologies that have not just crept into our society but have absolutely overthrown our society are not just, they're not just non-Christian. They are anti-Christian. Right? We are living in a day, we are living in an hour where everything that's rolling out is anti-Christian. So how do, we, how do we live in this pagan world? How do we live in this godless society? Here, Paul gives us some practical things. Now, in, in chapter number two, he said this, these things which become sound doctrine to classes of men and women within the church. Now, he turns from their obligations inside the church to consider their social obligations in the community. So, I want you to understand this. Our loyalty, we're going to look this a little bit deeper, and I'm going to scratch the surface. I'm not going to be long after. But our loyalty to Jesus Christ should not lessen our loyalty to our government. We must be Christ-like and Christian-like in all our dealings with this world, lest our testimony for Christ ineffective you want to win the world to Christ you want to win your fellow man your work co-workers to Christ you want to lead, you want to win our local officials to Christ you want to win our state officials our government officials to Christ then you're going to, have to live like a Christian in this pagan world and so here in chapters chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 there are seven marks to guide our activities and attitudes toward the government and authority in our lives. They are spelled out in such detail in these verses. I'm not going to have to, I don't, I'm going to say very little commentary on them because you're going to know what they mean. You already do if you've read them with me. But they're spelled out in such detail, there's no mistake of the principles God wants you to understand. These seven Christian duties apply to all believers, watch this, at all times. Chapter one, you can say, well, I ain't no preacher. I'm good. 
And in chapter number two, you can say, well, I'm not an old man, but I'm not a young man. That ain't talking to me. I'm an in-betweener. <laughs> I'm not an old woman. I'm not a young woman. I'm an in-betweener. I'm not a, I self-identify as a middle-aged person. So I don't, I can, you might can shuff all that off. You might sh- sh- shake off uh, uh, chapter number two when it talks about being a right kind of employee, which that ain't the Bible word. The Bible word is servant. We'd be better off if we got right with the Bible. Amen. And, uh, and just did what we're supposed to do on that. And so you might say, well, I, I'm, old, I'm retired or, or I own my own business or whatever else. And so I don't get But you're not going to get away from chapter number three. Because this is for all believers at all times. These are not just actions. These are attitudes and dispositions that should always characterize our lives among those who don't belong to God. So, what's our obligation to pagan culture? I'm preaching tonight on the Christian's life in society. A Christian's life in society. Number one, y'all ready? Look at the Bible. Put them in mind. So he says this, you remind them of some things. Number one, to be subject to principalities and powers. To be subject to principalities and powers. You could say this, to be subject to government. I want you to notice here, and I'm going to move pretty quick through these seven. I want you to notice here, he doesn't say what kind of government we're to submit to. Y'all notice that? He does not say democratic government or republic government. Or when there's a Republican in office. Or when there's a Democrat in office. Or when there's a Libertarian in office. Or when there's a whatever. No name brand in office. It it doesn't say what kind of government. It doesn't say when you have a president. Or when you have a king. Or when you have a dictator. Or a tyrant. It just says be subject. Be subject to principalities and powers. Why? Because government is ordained by God. And government is binding on the good and the bad alike. You know who's reigning when Paul writes this down? Nero. You know who Nero is? He's the man, he's the tyrant that killed more Christians just because they were Christians than any other Roman emperor. Nero's got Paul strapped up in prison ready to take his head off and Paul says, submit yourself to the government. Submit yourself to the principalities and the powers that are above you. So be subject to government. I don't know where our government's headed. I don't think it's good, to be honest with you. I don't know who's going to win the next election, but it might be the next dictator and tyrant who rules the world. I don't know. You don't know either. They all lie. Amen. They're all crooked. I think you ought to vote. I'm not saying you ought not do that. You ought to do your homework and try to figure out. But I'm telling you, friend, we don't know what's about to happen in this country. I know I don't like what's happening in this country. Amen. And I promise you this, one little office term, one little four-year term ain't going to fix all this mess. Amen. Amen. And you're crazy if you think that. But I will say this. I will say this. Whether it's a really good guy that goes, against, goes, goes with the Word of God or if it's a really bad guy that goes against the word of God, we're to subject ourselves to the government. Amen. That's, that's a hard pill for a rebel like me to swallow. Because I'll just be honest with you, I'm a rebel. I know, I mean, I, I like, sometimes, I mean, y'all, y'all remember, y'all, y'all thought that were here with us during COVID. I mean, I, I was like, we're going to have church in spite of the government. 
Amen. I wish they'd told us to shut I wish Governor Kent would have told I don't wish. I'm glad he didn't tell us to shut down. But if he did, we'd have still had church. I mean, we just, you know, amen. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, 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 I'm just, that's because I'm a rebel, right? I, 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 I can't buy a vehicle without cruise control. You know why? It's because I'm a rebel. Because if I don't put it in cruise control and I'm the one pushing that pedal, I'm a rebel. I'm like 55 mile high leg. Huh? 65 mile high leg. But I, so, so the Lord said, all right, boy, if you ain't going to fix yourself, you're going to have to start buying vehicles with cruise control. And so we get on a straightaway. I put it in cruise control. And I say, yes, Lord. Okay. Some of y'all been. Hey, listen, I'm telling you, especially that 411 stretch right there, buddy. Son. Telling you, there ain't no cruise control in that church van out there. And I have seen that needle and realized I am in the church van. They're going to arrest me in the church van. <laughs> I'm a rebel. Watch that. So that's hard pill for me to swallow. Subject myself to the government. That baby killing crowd. That crowd that's okay taking a life of innocent babies in the womb. That same crowd's okay with taking grandma's life in the nursing home. That same crowd says a man can marry a man and a woman can marry a woman. That same crowd that lets men dressed up like women go into a kindergarten classroom and teach them kids about the perversion of their lifestyle. That same crowd, subject myself to that crowd. But you know what? The Bible says to be subject. Now I understand, listen, they asked me to do something against the Bible, I'm going to go with God. Right? They ask us to do something against the Bible. I'm going with God. That's why I really said we was going to have church anyway. It wasn't because in spite necessarily. I mean, even though that rose up in me. But in reality, the Bible says forsake not assembling yourself together. And so, and so that but be subject to government. Watch this. I got to hurry. Then it says to obey magistrates. To be submissive to magistrates. Now, we don't use that word. That word refers to public uh, officers. It does not refer to kings and stuff like that. What this is referring to is that in our government will be elected officials. Now, we elect them, but in other governments that would have kings, they appoint them, uh, but they would be like governors. Like Daniel was a governor, but he wasn't elected governor. They appointed, the king appointed him. Governors, uh, that would be like mayors, that would be uh, uh, like uh, uh, anything like that. And so it says this, you're to obey those that are over you, those government officials that are over us, you're to obey them. And watch this again. He doesn't say if they're a good person. It doesn't say if they're a Christian. I don't know. We don't have a mayor of Ranger. We don't even have a city no more. <laughs> we did have a mayor, but I didn't even know that until they took our city stuff away. I didn't even know we was a city until they took it away. But, uh, but we don't have a mayor. But, but if we did, we did. We, you know what? I'm to obey the laws of the, of the city. So we're not, we're a city, so we're just some, we're, just, we're outcasts of Gordon County now. And so uh, the Gordon, the county commission, we're to obey them. We're to obey our local government. We're to obey our state government. Again, as long as they're not telling us to go against the word of God. And that speed limit ain't against the word of God, by the way. Amen. Submissive to magistrates. 
Here's why. They are appointed by God. Can I read a verse to you? Can I read some Bible to you? Romans chapter 13, verse number 4 says this. This is what the Bible says about it. For, he's talking about the rulers. Let me just read this. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are of, ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to them damnation. For rulers are not a, t- a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Hey, just do right. Right? And that, doesn't that sound so simple? Just do right. But then when he says this, he says, For he, talking about the power, talking about that officer, talking about that governor, that, that person official who is officiating the law, he says this in verse 4, Romans 13, 4, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. Amen. He's the minister of God for thee, for, to thee for good. But then it says this, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. I remind my wife of that verse a lot. My wife, I wonder if she don't have some secret life sometimes because we'll be riding down the road and she'll see a police. There he is, there he is, there he is, there he is. What are you so nervous about? What are you doing? You selling drugs on the side or something? What's really in that oil, them essential oils? Huh? What's really in that stuff you've been diffusing in the house, right? And she said, oh, be quiet, you know. I said, what are you so nervous about? There he is, there he is, there he is. If you're not doing evil, don't be afraid. But if you're doing evil, be afraid. Never have been nervous about being pulled over. I mean, I mean, one time I got pulled over. Got one time, I got pulled over. By Barney Fife one time in the big old city of Aragon. You know, they, they don't ever say it right on the news. Aragon. It's Aragon. Aragon. And I got pulled over. And, I, and I, I, was, I was trying to get church. I was going 20 miles over the speed limit. As he's walking up, I'm hanging out the window. Yes, sir, I know. I'm speeding. And he pulls up and he goes through his ricker and more. You know why I pulled you over there? Yes, sir, I was speeding. Do you know how fast she was going? I said, I think I was going about 65 and a 45. He said, well, I didn't clock you that fast. I clocked you at 57. And he started going through the spill. Do you want me to check my radar? Do you blah, blah, blah. I said, sir, can I? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not being disrespectful. Sir, sir, I told you I was speeding. I told you I was going faster than you clocked me. No, I don't want to check your radar. Can you either give me the warning or write me a ticket and let me go? I'm late. I wasn't scared about that. Never been scared because of every time I've known. Every time I've got pulled over, I know that's because I was speeding. One time it's because I was swerving around because I was trying to eat a taco, drive. <laughs> Thought I was drunk. <laughs> right? He said, sir, are you okay? I said, well, not really. I'm hungry. <laughs> he said, well, you're swerving all over the highway. I said, yeah, trying to eat this taco. <laughs> He said, can you wait till you get home and pull over to eat the taco? He said, I thought you was driving under the influence. I said, I am driving under the influence of a taco. <laughs> and, uh, but I wasn't nervous about it. I mean, you know, what I am saying is, though, if you're doing evil, be fearful. So, so here's what the Bible says in, back in Titus. So be submissive to magistrates. Be subject to government. Then he goes on and says this. He says this, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates. And this is to be ready to every good work. Here's something. Be ready to be of service to other people. Ready to lend a helping hand. 
where it's needed. I don't know if y'all ever get like me, get in a rush, and you see somebody on the side of the road. You're in a rush, and the Lord says, you really ought to stop. You really ought to at least see if you can help them. You really ought to at least pull up. You, and here's, here's my excuse every time. Lord, I don't know nothing about cars. I don't know nothing about that stuff. I can't help them. I, mean, I can pray for them, but I can't do much for them. That ain't an excuse for God. Because I might could help them. I might ride them down the road. I might give them a phone call or help them. I, might, I mean, I can put a tire on, you know. Well, Christians ought to be the first ones to help people where it's needed. You know, Christians ought to be the one to, to help. I, I read this um, I read this little quote and I thought it was pretty good. I may hang it up in my closet. I'm in my office, my closet, my office. <laughs> to help those who find it hard to paddle their own canoe. Help those who find it hard to paddle their own canoe. Don't rock their boat. Help them row it. I thought that's pretty good. We ought to find people who's having trouble paddling their own canoe. Don't rock it. Don't kick it over. But help them row it. You know what? We ought to help in good works. They ought to know us by our good works. Be a service to others. Then number four, look in verse two. It says to speak evil of no man. Some of y'all need to repent right now. As bad as stuff we've said about President Biden. Come on now. I'm just reading the Bible. To speak evil of no man. Watch this. You're never going to read one Bible verse where Paul is speaking evil of Nero. Do you know everything we know about Nero? You don't find it in the Bible? I'm talking about the one who was ruling, what I just said was ruling while Paul was writing this, who's cutting Christians' heads off. You know how wicked of a man Nero was? He would go into a, a home and he would, he would take the man out. He would, they would kill the man. They would dip his head in tar. They would tie him to, po, to, to a post on the street side and at night they would use his head as a lamp to light up the streets. The, the streets would be lined with Christian men's heads or bodies using them as lamps. He would take their wives and he would, he, would, he would mutilate those women. He would take those children and traffic them off. It was Nero the one. You, read, you, you watch all these Hollywood movies. They make you think this gladiator business was all just sport. But in reality, those, those coliseums would be full of people. And those were, those, the, the people they had bringing them out to fight those gladiators or even to be ripped apart by beasts, they, wasn't, they were not prisoners of war. They were not people who were terrorists. They were not awful criminals. They were Christians. And they would bring them out in these big coliseums and just like a, a football stadium full of people and these people would be cheering for the death of these Christians. That was Nero doing that. And you know we never find Paul say anything about that in the Bible. The man, the man was inspired of God to write two-thirds of the whole Bible. Two-thirds of the whole New Testament. He doesn't say one bad thing about the man who's the cause of him having his head cut off. And yet, we got a man in our office that I ain't for. We got a man in our office that 
I wouldn't even be scared if he did say something about tar and feathering us as, as Christians. To be honest with you, I don't think he could pull the trigger. But how much have we said about him? We got two men in our office as senators in, in the state of Georgia. John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. How much negative things have we said about him? Them. I'll just be honest with you. I can tell you, I've probably talked worse about Marjorie Green Taylor than I have them other two. I know that don't that hair lips most people. I still think a woman's got a place. And it ain't what she's doing. But that's just Bible. But watch what he says. To speak evil of no man. You know what? Our speech ought to be sound. Can I preach to the preacher right now? Got to watch her tongue. You know what the Bible says in James about that tongue, don't you? Like a fire of hell. It'll set on fire the world. That tongue, that tongue causes some bad trouble. So you know what you're going to have to do? You have to keep it under control. You're going to watch your mouth. Watch this. You better think twice before you speak once. And if you'll think twice before you speak once, you'll speak twice as well for it. Our speech ought to be as becometh a Christian. You ought to season your speech with salt. Believers are not to be contentious. Always looking for a fight. Always picking an occasion to fight. Christians are not to go out looking for a fight. Now I believe in drawing a line in the sand. We ought not be going out for a fight. I believe that includes that stuff right there. There's more keyboard warriors in this generation, a bunch of sissified men that say stuff on social media they would never say to their face. I'm telling you, they'll type it out, post it out, and you go talk to them about it. They don't want to talk about it. I mean, many a times I've called somebody up and said, hey, oh, well, I ain't got nothing to talk about. Well, you obviously did. You, you put this on my, on my thing. You typed it out. I said what I was going to say. No, no, you ain't said nothing. You've typed it out. Do you want to talk? I don't want to talk about it. I said, then stop putting stuff out there. Hello? Talked to a man last week. And I said, sir, I've got a problem with you. I said, I ain't texting you about it. I'm calling you because I can't drive to see you. I said, I would ask you if you've ever got a problem with me, you do the same exact thing. Well, we speak at speech, buddy. I'm telling you, man, I'm about sick and tired of what I see people on social media posting. Always causing strife. Sound speech. What about this? It says to be no brawlers, to be sober in conduct. You know what a brawler is? A brawler is one given to pointless arguing and fighting for its own sake. Just arguing for arguing's sake. Fighting for fighting's sake. You know, there are some people just love to argue. I know y'all don't know nobody like that. Surely to goodness, you're not somebody like that. They just can't resist saying something. They just can't resist the jabbing remark. It's always jabbing. Always got something to say. Always got to come back. Always got to talk back. Always argue. And it's funny, a lot of those people, they ain't got a clue what's ever going on either. 
They ain't got a clue what's going on, but they got something to say about it. Hello? You know what that shows as an adult? That's immaturity. Right? That's immaturity. My children, as they're growing up, I'm watching that in my children. As they try to talk about something they have no idea about. And as they do that, as daddy, I have to teach them. Be honest with you, I, I'm, I know, but I, sometimes I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. And sometimes I'm not a great daddy. And sometimes I say it out loud. But you know what I really do? I got to teach them, hey, look, buddy, you ain't got to say something about everything. You really don't know what you're talking about. Right? I mean, Nolan was telling me today about somebody, my, my window's cracked in front of my truck. He said, I saw this thing where there's a guy, there's a company that does it for half the price of anybody around here. <laughs> That's what he said. I said, what are you even talking about? He said, your window's cracked, Daddy. He said, I saw a thing where, where they put windows in that's half the price of everybody around. I said, what's the price of everybody around here? Well, well I don't know. I said, well, where's that company? Oh, I don't know. I said, so you don't have a clue what you're talking about. And he wanted to argue me about him knowing what he's talking about. You know what I find, you know what, in an eight, nine-year-old boy, that's a teaching moment for daddy. But for a 20, 30, 40, 50, 60-year-old person, that's immaturity. Isn't it? Well, we got people want to argue about everything, want to fight about everything, fighting for fighting's sake. He says this, we ought, to, we, ought to, we ought to avoid everything that has controversy in it. That's been, been something in maturing in my Christian walk because I'm telling you, I had to learn. You ain't got to get into everything. You ain't got to say something about everything. You ain't got to fuss and fight about everything. Blessed are the peacemakers. Amen. That's what Jesus said. I, I wrote this down in my notes. Disagreements are okay. Disagreements are okay. And discussions about differences can be done by Christians without getting angry, without heat, without strife. Without ill will. You can have discussions about your disagreements without all that. Not a brawler. Then it says this, but gentle. I wrote this, always show courtesy. Always show, even those that hurt you. Even those that don't show it to you. Be gentle. Being, being gentle is the opposite of being contentious. It's, it's looking for it, it, being gentle is seeing how can we get out of the fight. I don't, I'm not talking about defending ourselves. That's not what I'm talking about. If you're, if you're getting that crossways, you're, you're not even on the right track we're running in right now. Okay? I'm not talking about defending. But I'm talking about that it's going after a fight for fight's sake. Being gentle is looking how we can get out of that. Sometimes being gentle will get you in the crosshairs. You'll get both sides mad at you. Because you won't defend either one of them. Right? I know y'all ever have a situation like that? Somebody comes to you about something. My response is always, have you talked to them about it? I, just, I mean, that's like my first thing. Have you talked to them about it? Well, it won't do no good. Have you tried it? Well, I just know. Well, the Bible says, if you've got a problem with somebody, you're supposed to go to them. I'm pretty sure God knows more about it than you do. <laughs> I'm pretty sure God's got a better system of, of, of fixing these kind of things than we do. You might ought to try God's way. And they'll say, yeah, but, 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 but I had one this week. And I said, yeah, yeah, I, I understand why you're upset. I don't know the full story. I can see where you're coming from and you're upset. But you ain't even talked to them. I guarantee 
It's prob- you're probably assuming a lot of stuff. Y'all ever heard Brother Ware say it? Brother Ware, he'll say it like this. He'll say, kids have imaginary friends. Adults have imaginary enemies. Don't we? I've heard him say it multiple times. I thought, man, that's good. And so here's what one man said. Matthew Arnold said this. They are to show sweet reasonableness towards all others. Sweet reasonableness to all others. And then lastly, and I'm done. He said this in verse number two at the very end. He said, showing all meekness unto all men. We ought not to be harsh and haughty in our dealings. You ever, you ever had somebody deal with you and, and just the way they presented it, it just wasn't necessarily what they said was wrong and even what they were talking about wasn't wrong, but the way they just came at you, you know? They just came at you harsh, right? Sometimes, I know me, I, me, when you come at me harsh, I'm coming back at you harsh. That's just, it's, it's that old nature, y'all. It's that old nature. I'm not sanctified, y'all, right? I wish the eradication of the flesh was real. I wish when we got saved, all that old nature went away, but it don't. And man, you come at me like that, I'm coming back at you. And then we, and if we get right with God, we both apologize. <laughs> But, but we ought to stay away from that harsh, haughty dealings. Here's the, here's the high calling of a Christian. Here's the high calling of a Christian. To esteem other better than themselves. You know what Philippians 2, 3 says? Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. You know what that means? Well, I told them. Well, I know why that got fixed. Because I told them. I told them off. And it got fixed. Let nothing be done. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. I'm talking about dealing with a godless world. I'm talking about dealing with a society that is not just non-God, they are anti-God. You go and you call them and you bless them out because, you know, ain't it funny? We call the secretary down at the bill place like she's got any control of how much your bill is. Like she makes anything to do with those prices. And you start chewing her out. That's highway robbery. I can't believe blankety blank 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 blank. And she can't do nothing about it. And if she could, she ain't now. <laughs> right? <laughs> If she could give her a little employee discount, she ain't doing it for you. I'd charge you more. I'd put an inconvenience fee on your, on your bill. <laughs> that's, why I don't, that's why I'm not a secretary. Right? But you handle it the right way. Be meek. Understanding. Reasonable. I wonder how to be you fuss somebody out and then God deals with your heart about Tell them the gospel the next month. You done forgot about chewing them out. You know, you done forgot, you forgot about it. Next month, you go in there and say, hey, can I, can I invite you to church? We're having friend and family day. He was like, no, <laughs> yeah, you can't. <laughs> I ain't going to church with you because I ain't your friend or family, <laughs> right? Right? Or, or, or they, they see you doing some ministry with the church or, or something like that. And they can't get past the fact that, you know, that's the same person that chewed me out. 
Now I'll say this as a Christian, if you do that, you ought not do it. And if you do it, you ought to go get right with God and get right with that person. You ought to. You ought to get right with them. You ought to call that number back. You ought to tell them you're sorry. I'm talking about being meek. It's talking about we are to sanction humility. Then it says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. I'm done here. Brother Tim, if you can come play softly, we'll pray and, and we'll be done. But I want to say this. If we're going to change our pagan society, you know how we're going to do it? By proclaiming the gospel. And if we're going to proclaim our gospel with a pure with impurity, if we're going to change, if we're going to proclaim the gospel to a lost and dying world, they're going to have to see that that gospel has changed us. See, I'm all for being involved in what's going on down in Atlanta as far as the, the capital, and, and, and I'm all for like Brother Paul Smith and what he does with his ministry. I'm all for um, I'm, uh, I'm all for what other ministries that do that for the, the, uh, the, the country. I, I'm all for all that. But you're not going to change, you're not going to change the society by just changing policy. You're going to change society with the gospel. And the only way this pagan world is going to want anything to do with the gospel is seeing the difference in us. You know why the, the early church was so effective? Because they saw the changed lives. You know why Paul was able to reach so many with the gospel? Because they said, hey, 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 that's, that's, that's that guy that used to go around killing Christians. That's that guy that used to go around arresting Christians. He's a changed man. This, this stuff he's preaching, it ain't just for him to get some kind of popularity or some kind of following. Man, it's changed his life. He don't talk like he used to talk. He don't walk like he used to walk. He don't look like he used to look. Everything's different about him. And the Christian's life in society is going to make the difference. They're watching us. Are we making the Lord look good? Are we making Jesus look good? Even in our dealings with society. Think on your life as a Christian in this world. In this pagan society. Your life on the workforce or in the, in the marketplace or, or how the world looks at you. For our young people, your life at school, what do people think? 